0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. It's October in an election year, and the uh, phrase October Surprise uh, has entered the language in the last, uh, oh, 15 years. It originally refers back to the 1980 uh, fear of the Reagan people that Jimmy Carter would get the hostages out of Iran in October and produce this October surprise, giving him a boost and allowing him to win re-election. The evidence now seems clear. In a remarkable bit of political skullduggery, the Reagan team cut a deal with the Iranian government to keep the hostages until after the election. While the details have never come out, we do know that Literally, as Ronald Reagan was being inaugurated in Washington, D.C., the Revolutionary Guards in Iran went over and unlocked the cells of the hostages. But in October of 08, it appears that the McCain campaign is going to have to come up with something uh, equally nefarious to reverse what appears to be a clear trend toward Obama victory on November 4th. We're going to talk about that in our second segment today and be joined by our political pundit. Bob Newman of Newman Communications. We spoke to Mr. Newman uh, last March, uh, during which time he, he told us that, you know, as a possible vice presidential choice for McCain, we ought to give uh, the Alaska governor a good look. We didn't bother, of course, because we thought that was too far-fetched. Bob Newman is an expert on, uh, on public relations, and of course our elections are to no small degree matters of public relations. So uh, tune in in the second segment to get an update from Bob Newman. We're sure that he's going to have some astute observations. Let us commence the program as we like to do with On This Date in History. And I should say at this point that we like starting every show with historical references because, well, people just don't remember history. The philosopher George Santayana once famously said that those who do not remember history are condemned to repeat it. And uh, we think there's quite a bit of truth in that. Of course, one wag once pointed out that History is the science of things which never repeat themselves, and uh, we would say that they may not repeat themselves exactly, but certainly one can glean some principles. Our date in question today is October 16th, and it was on October 16th in 1859 that the abolitionist John Brown led a raid against the federal arsenal in Harper's Ferry, Virginia. This was an attempt to incite an insurrection and bring an end to slavery in America. Uh, John Brown's uh, raid did not lead to a larger insurrection. He was, uh, he was arrested and convicted for treason and later hanged for the crime. Slavery did end in America after the Civil War, of course, which commenced two years later upon the election of Abraham Lincoln. The Republican Party was founded on being an anti-slavery party and the election of Abraham Lincoln caused uh, 13 southern states to secede. On October 16, 1901, the Swedish explorer Otto Nordenskjold embarked on the ship Antarctica to spend a winter in Antarctica. It turned out that uh, Otto would spend two winters there owing to the destruction of his ship in the ice pack. Four years later, on October 16, 1905, the British government of India partitioned Bengal in the face of enormous opposition by Indian residents. The move polarized millions to oppose British rule. On October 16th in 1946, at Nuremberg, Germany, 10 high-ranking Nazi officials were executed by hanging for crimes against humanity. They were also executed for crimes against peace and war crimes during World War II. The first to hang was Joachim von Ribbentrop, Minister of Foreign Affairs. Hermann Goering was slated to lead the list of those executed, but he cheated the hangman with cyanide a couple of hours before his scheduled execution. Goering's body nevertheless was brought to the gallows to be shown to the public, the press in particular, to make sure there were no rumors that Herman Goering had escaped. On this date in 1964, the People's Republic of China detonated an atomic bomb becoming the fifth nuclear nation, joining the U.S., the Soviet Union, Great Britain, and France. And finally, in what was not the finest moment uh, for the Nobel Prizes, the 1973 prize was awarded to U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger and North Vietnamese diplomat Li Duc Thọ. The prize was awarded for their negotiations at the Paris Peace Accords. Henry Kissinger, of course, accepted. Li Duc Thọ declined the award until such time as, quote, peace was truly established, unquote. The fact that Henry Kissinger, one of the leading hawks in the uh, Nixon administration, the man who advocated spreading the bombing into other nations, in a secret campaign, by the way, the fact that he got the Nobel Peace Prize was, well, ironic, I guess you'd say. Our quote of the day comes from former Vice President Al Gore, who said in a speech at the Clinton Global Initiative, where he was condemning the construction of new coal plants that do not have the capacity to store carbon, if you're a young person looking at the future of this planet and looking at what is being done right now, it's time for civil disobedience. Oh, and Al Gore winning a Nobel Prize, that was a good call, at least in our opinion. And we might want to mention at this point that the opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, the University of California Davis, UC Davis, or the Regents of the University of California. Our quip of the day, and boy is this appropriate for the times we live in, comes from John Kenneth Galbraith, the economist, who once said, The salary of the chief executive of a large corporation is not a market award for achievement. It is frequently in the nature of a warm, personal gesture by the individual to himself. Our comedic crack of the day comes from actress Shirley MacLaine, who said, It's useless to hold a person to anything he says while he's in love Drunk, or running for office. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week a couple weeks back for superstitions. After a Zimbabwean soccer team plunged into the crocodile-infested Zambezi River to ritually cleanse themselves of bad spirits before a match, one player never came out. It was, conversely, a bad week for Richard Fold, the former CEO of Lehman Brothers, who was punched in the face by an angry employee in the company gym shortly after the firm was driven into bankruptcy. Fold was then berated in a congressional hearing for taking $480 million in stock options and salary as he drove the company into debt. Fold said he felt horrible about the way things turned out. But uh, no word yet on whether he's offering up any cash to help remedy matters. Probably shouldn't hold your breath for that one. And finally, it was an ugly week, a definitely ugly week for AIG last week after the global insurance giant showed its gratitude for the $85 billion bailout provided by the taxpayer by then staging a week-long retreat for sales agents and executives at a California resort. The company then ran up a tab of $440,000 for luxury rooms, banquets, massages, and other spa treatments. A spokesman for AIG said the retreat was a standard way of rewarding top performers. Yes, fill in your own joke here. Of course, we really liked the cartoon that was in uh, the Houston Chronicle showing uh, Henry Paulson and George Bush wheeling uh, a cart down Wall Street. A bunch of men in suits are cheering the bags of money being wheeled down to them, and Bush turns to Paulson and says, We'll be greeted as liberators this time... Anyway, we forgot our stat of the day. Let's use this one from the Pew Research Center. A poll of American men and women living in couples said 43% of the time, it's the woman who makes more of the decisions at home, including managing finances, planning weekend activities, and choosing what to watch on television. 26% said it was the man who makes most of these decisions, while 31% of people in couples say they split the decisions equally. Speaking of couples, about 11,000 same-sex couples were married in California in the first three months that gay marriage was declared legal here. That's uh, more such marriages than have occurred in the four years of same-sex marriages in Massachusetts, according to UCLA's Williams Institute. And we should add add an addendum, I think, that it was a good week uh, last month for Iranian gays when President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, who last year famously claimed in New York that there are no homosexuals in Iran, has now revised his view. In an interview in late September, Ahmadinejad conceded that there, quote, might be a few, unquote, gays in Iran, went on to describe homosexuality as an unlikable and foreign act. And here's an item I like. Apparently, uh, last week, Pope Benedict XVI denounced greed. He said that the global economic crisis should lead the nations of the world back to religion, saying, quote, We are now seeing in the collapse of major banks that money vanishes. It is nothing. He who builds only on visible and tangible things like success, career, and money builds the house of his life on sand. And no, we don't know whether the Pope delivered this uh, this statement from one of the balconies of his many palaces in the Vatican City. And speaking of religious help for those who build their house on sand, The London Sunday Mirror last week reported that Amy Winehouse is considering accepting a helping hand from the Church of Scientology. Apparently the British singer, reportedly still struggling with drugs, got a call from the organization's Los Angeles Celebrity Center. They told her they wanted to help her beat drugs and could tailor-make a program so she wouldn't have to go to a residential center. We'd say, Amy, it it appears you clearly do need some help, but you may want to check the bottom line out on this offer before you say yes. And speaking of uh, celebrities who behave badly with a Los Angeles connection, and don't you just love these smooth segues we make? Last week, 13 years to the day after he was acquitted of two murders in the so-called trial of the century, O.J. Simpson was found guilty of armed robbery, kidnapping, and 10 other felonies, as part of a plot to reclaim his sports memorabilia from two Las Vegas dealers. Simpson now faces a prison sentence of two years to life. This did prompt uh, one of our LA correspondents, Don, to send us an email suggesting that OJ was now writing a new book based on this latest escapade. It was to be titled, If I Did Steal All That Stuff. And uh, we mentioned a few weeks back that we wanted to kind of take a look at what was going on over in Georgia. We discovered that an excellent explanation for what uh, has happened over there comes from Radar magazine, oddly enough. The article was written by Mark Ames, who's been to Georgia several times. His article was titled, The Empire Strikes Out. We suspect this article is on the internet, and you might do well to, uh, to check it out. We think it's worth taking a minute or two to talk about it. Ames explains that the Ossetians are a group of folks who are ethnically Persian. When Georgia declared itself independent of the USSR, uh, North Ossetia wound up in Russia and South Ossetia was in Georgia. And of course, as is the case with all the former Soviet republics, a large Russian population then found itself in what is basically now foreign land. Now, uh, since the Soviet period, uh, Georgia has had four one-party states. The one currently in power is led by President Mikhail Saakashvili. And has been remarkably pro-Western. Apparently it was money from the West who helped uh, edge out the previous government, that of the former Soviet uh, foreign minister, Edward Shevardnadze. We should note also that an excellent article in the New York Times by Dan Biefsky and Michael Schwartz pointed out that uh, Georgia and its U.S. backers, including both presidential candidates, have presented Georgia to the world as a plucky little democracy in an unstable region, a country deserving of generous aid and NATO membership. But it notes that a growing number of critics inside and outside the country argue that Georgia falls well short of Western democratic standards, and they single out a lack of press freedom as a glaring example. So it's felt basically the U.S. replaced uh, Edward Shevardnadze with um, uh, Misha Saakashvili, who was educated at Columbia University. Noted Mark Ames, he speaks fluent neocon. He uh, stacked his cabinet with young right-wing fanatics and made sure he had a coterie of mountain-biking American advisors with him at all times. Oh, and by the way, as we mentioned on this program, that crew included John McCain's chief foreign policy advisor, Randy Schooneman, whose firm was paid nearly $1 million in lobbying fees. This little conflict over there began when Saakashvili sent his troops into the South Ossetian region, which borders Russia. But why he decided to attack is still a mystery. The article notes he now claims he was forced to level the town of Sikhanvali to preempt a Russian invasion, but that doesn't make any military sense. Others believe that he struck because with Bush on the way out, he thought this would be his last chance to regain full control of South Ossetia. Vladimir Putin, by the way, has offered an alternative hypothesis, hypothesis that uh, Saakashvili intentionally sparked a war in order to boost John McCain's prospects in the U.S. presidential election. At any rate, uh, during this August 7th uh, initiation of hostilities, with, uh, with which Ossetians described to Mark Ames as shock and awe, almost half the population fled north into Russia This prompted a Russian response of sending their troops into South Ossetia and then further on into what's considered Georgia proper, including the town of Gori. Gori, historical buffs uh, may note, is the birthplace of Joseph Stalin. Ames spoke to the Russian commanders uh, who are now in Gori, noted that they told him, uh, You see, the Georgian flag is still flying. This is Georgian territory. We're not annexing it like the media says. Noted Ames this kind of boast, Conquering a country, than making a big noble show of respecting its sovereignty was something that had once only been reserved for American forces. I must say, at the conclusion of the article, which was written uh, probably in September, Ames notes that news clips of John McCain declaring in unironic solidarity that we Americans are all Georgians too, did help boost him past Obama in the polls for the first time in months. Since for reasons that we cannot understand on this program, the Republicans are seen as being better in in terms of global conflict and the war on terror than the Democrats, Uh, whatever was going on in Georgia certainly did seem to have helped John McCain. Maybe Vladimir Putin was right. I want to segue momentarily into a review in The Economist magazine about a book called Battle for the Airwaves, Radio, and the 1938 Munich Crisis by David Vaughan. The magazine noted in its review that uh, in Czechoslovakia's German language programs were outgunned by the quantity, quality, and and audibility of Nazi propaganda in the uh, ramp up to the Munich giveaway of Czechoslovakia. Apparently the BBC did not do all that it could do to uh, put the story out of what was really going on in Czechoslovakia. They noted that some stars did pierce the fog. American broadcasters such as Edward R. Murrow did bring the drama of Czechoslovakia's impending vivisection to the world with language that crackles. And uh, this stuff is very relevant 60 years later. and The article points out that Russia certainly could be envisioned as whipping up its ethnic minorities in nearby states, much as the Nazis did in, in, with the, the German minority in Czechoslovakia 60 years ago. It's certainly clear that what's going on in Georgia right now, uh, the Russian minority in some of these areas is very sympathetic to the Russian point of view, not the Georgian. And a curious sidelight to all of this, uh, this geopolitics is that uh, the Belarus dictator, Alexander Lukashenko, well, he, had, he held an election last month, which international observers uh, thought was pretty fraudulent. But because he's resisted Russian pressures to recognize these Georgian enclaves of South Ossetia and Abkhazia, uh, well, that's caused the West to look at him much more warmly, which is really quite pathetic. Anyway, let's close with some commentary by our good pal, America's foremost political comic, Will Durst.
1: Well, thanks, Doug. And today I'm here to say, forget what they say. You know, that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. In his final face-to-face confrontation with Barack Obama, the oldest dog of them all, John McCain proved whoever they are, are wrong. By adding a new wrinkle to his usual somnambulant debate strategy, targeting his entire 90 minutes to the vote of a single man, Joe the Plumber. Near the end, in the spot where the GOP presidential nominee normally nods off, he frenzily attempted to send secret communiques to Joe by blinking some sort of Morse code message with his eyes. And something else was happening, too. Either the studio was filled with nitrous, or the host, CBS anchor Bob Schieffer, dropped some happy juice in the green room pitcher of water because there was way too much smiling going on. By everybody. Obama kept slipping into his incredulous, head-shaking smirk whenever doddering old grandpa spouted more unintelligible nonsense, and McCain had his George W. Bush grinning for no apparent reason at inappropriate times creepy grimace kind of smile down. Some whippersnapper must have taught the Arizona Senator how to use air quotes. Cause like a 13 year old girl with her first tube of lip gloss, he went crazy, tossing them around like dimes at a midway game, going so far as to say that too many abortions were allowed on the basis of a woman's health which he made sound lamer than skipping jury duty because of a toe throb. McCain may have been frustrated by Obama's prevent defense, but once again, he proved to be his own worst enemy, turning cranky into an art form, actually using the word cockamamie to refer to Joe Biden's Iraqi partition policy, pretty much nailing down the crotchety vote, which I'm sure he considers exciting his base. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst.
0: Always good to hear from Mr. Durst. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and after a short break, we'll talk with Bob Newman about the election.